Good morning. It's a wonderful pleasure to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you. I hope that he speaks through me, uh, helps us with understanding what healthy marriages look like. Our sermon text this morning is Ephesians 5, 18 through 33. I've entitled it Healthy Marriages. But as we think about what healthy marriages are all about, I want the singles to know that this is very important to you as well if you're thinking about getting married. So you need to know what kind of a person that you're marrying and what they look like. And so what kind of a partner are they going to be? So this should be very helpful for you as well. So that's my hope this morning. So generally when I do marriage counseling, I'm talking with two angry people who are very unhappy in their marriage. They want something to happen, something to change. And so after they sit down and we pray, then I will ask them, how can I help you? And so one of them leads away. And so I begin to hear a listing their side of the story is a listing of all their partner's sins. And they're not hesitant about that. They're glad to share these things with me. And then once the first one finishes and the other one then shares the other spouse's sins. And then they both look at me and with an expectation that I'm gonna straighten out their partner, right? So they can be happy. So marriage can be a good marriage because the problem lies with the spouse and not with them, right? So they're not thinking about how they can change. They're thinking about how their partner can change. And so my response to both of them is usually a question. Where is Jesus in your story? I get these blank stares coming back because Jesus hasn't been mentioned. It's all about, I want my partner to change. They're the problem. I'm just this innocent person and I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to change, my partner needs to change. And so that's a question really all of us need to ask before you go to marriage counseling. As you're trying to work out the day-to-day life in your marriage, where do I need to change? Not to become the expert on my spouse, I'm to become the expert in my own heart. So all marriages include two selfish people. We desperately need Jesus in the middle of every marriage. There's no marriage in here that's perfect. There's only one perfect wife and she's sitting over here. <laughs> And so when both spouses see their need to change, that they really are sinners and that they need to grow in Christ's likeness and how to love more powerfully, then the word of God gives us understanding in that. And also he's given us this covenant of marriage, which he's created and we sang about this morning. And so he gives us guidance and direction on how to live out our marriages in a healthy way. And so when we don't include Jesus in the midst of our daily walk and our marriages, then 
we begin to live selfishly. We begin to blame our partner when we feel unhappy. There are three points to the sermon this morning. Number one is the marriage covenant. Number two is submitting to one another. That's a hard one. And then number three is the power of marriage. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Again, it's Ephesians 5, 18 through 33. It's in your bulletin. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you and praise you for this word, these instructions that you have for us and how to have healthy marriages. We all know who are married, the struggles that our marriages uh, have, and we see need for help. And so we thank you for the presence and the power of, of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your emphasis upon bringing Christ's likeness more and more into our hearts and our lives as we grow more and more to be like Christ. So Lord, please bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at our first point, the marriage covenant. So we find the basis for a healthy marriage in Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There are three foundational principles that we find in this one simple short sentence, and they're important. First, it describes God's original design for marriage before man fell from grace. Second, God wants the man to be the spiritual leader. He is to show initiative in leaving his family of origin 
and forming a new household. It's a man's responsibility to pursue his wife and to hold fast to her. Third, a marriage covenant is formed which unifies the couple and they become one flesh. This is very important. We understand these things. So God's original design was for Adam and Eve to have a marriage that was permanent. And the marriage covenant is not only between each other, but also with God involved with it. It says, whatever God has put together, let not man push asunder. So God is to be in the middle of every marriage. And so God, who created the marriage covenant, is God in his word that must be obeyed. So both spouses are to have their eyes on the Lord. So if you've got one spouse here and one spouse here, that's kind of the bottom of a triangle, if you will. Christ is up here at the top of the triangle. So as we grow and mature and become more and more like Christ, it's like we're growing closer together as we're growing closer to Christ. And that's the intent. That's the end result. We're Christ-like. But our marriages get closer, become more intimate, they become more loving and caring as we do that. So it's a very important thing that we keep in view, this, this covenant commitment, and we see that it's God who's in the middle of that. And so whenever our marriages get to the place where they wane and, and then get better or get better and then wane, then uh, we've got a place to go. And so this marriage covenant becomes the bedrock. It becomes the thing that pro provides safety so that you can work out your differences when those times come. Not, no one partner is trying to leave the marriage and say, hey, you know, I'm going to leave if I don't get my way. I mean, that upsets everything. You can't heal up things in your marriage if one of the partners is threatening to leave. Both of them have to say, I'm trusting the Lord in this. He's going to change me. He's going to change you. And we're going to grow and we're going to mature. We're going to work this out because the Holy Spirit's involved with this. And so that's God's intention. And so divorce is really not an option. If you leave the marriage, then you're breaking the marriage covenant. You're breaking the covenant with God. And you'll only get temporary relief because you're the same person that's leaving this marriage and saying, it doesn't matter what God thinks. So this, what kind of a spouse are you gonna be for the next one in line? They won't be able to trust you. And generally, second marriages last far fewer amount of time than the first ones. That's just a fact. So we want that bedrock, that marriage covenant, then to be the thing that both spouses look to, saying God's going to fix this. God's going to work in both of us to bring about the changes that he wants to bring about. And so both are then looking to change where they need to change. Their focus is on their own heart not on their spouse's heart. And so they're willing to die to self in order to grow in Christ-likeness. Not easy, 
but this is the process. And so this is part of the way in which God causes us to grow in Christ-likeness, become more loving and caring and less selfish because that's our big problem is our selfishness. We want our way. And so Jesus is the perfect husband who honors the marriage covenant, always will honor the marriage covenant, will never break the marriage covenant. And so the consummation of human history will result when Jesus returns. He's going to return for us, the church, his bride. It'll be a beautiful time when that takes place. And so we will see Christ's glory at that time. And that his bride was totally unworthy. And we see pictures of this in places like Hosea. Gives us a picture of how Christ has pursued the unlovely, the one who keeps failing and the one who is selfish and desires the things of this world. You get a chance, read the first two, three chapters of Hosea later today. You'll, you'll see what the impression is that we're like in terms of Christ's faithfulness. And so the bride, the church, is the unfaithful spouse. We are the unfaithful spouse. And yet the Lord keeps pursuing us. And that's to his glory that he will consummate this thing, that he will bring the marriage supper to place, into being. And he will give us his perfect holiness. He will go to the cross and die in our place. And he will demonstrate every manifestation of love and kindness and compassion for us who are unworthy. So even though we sit in here this morning, it's only because he's given us the faith to believe in him and to understand what he's done for us. And so Jesus will continue to pursue us and to hold us tight, hold us fast. He will never let you go, ever. He's going to complete what he has begun. We saw that in Philippians 1.6, right? <laughs> and so he's going to grab his bride after he preserves her and redeem her, make her perfectly holy and beautiful and unspeakably happy. The same joy that's in the Trinity right now, we will be joining in that forever. And so this is what all Christians look forward to. It's going to be a glorious day. He finishes what he started. What an amazing God we have. So that brings us to our second point, submitting to one another. And this is where it gets a little harder. <laughs> a little harder. So verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, very short, but very powerful. So Jesus is at the heart of every healthy marriage. And so both husband and wife are to worship Jesus. This is what the word out of reverence for Christ means. We are to worship. We're to revere the Lord. We're to love him and, and obey him, submit ourselves to him first and foremost. And then as we submit ourselves to him, we're to carry out what he wants us to do. 
So that means that after we submit to Jesus, then we are to also accept the biblical roles of husband and wife. And it's important that we see it that way because these are roles that the Lord has given us to fulfill. He's created marriage. He's given the man one role. He's given the wife another role. You're equal before the cross. You're equal before God. There are different roles that you're fulfilling. And he tells us here, and we'll see in a minute, what those different roles are. This is the job description, if you will. Women are not less than men. They just have a different role to play in the terms of the marriage. Okay, let's look then at the role of the husband. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Well, there you have your job description, guys. <laughs> Pretty tall order. So the husband is commanded by God to love his wife the same way that Christ loves the church. Raise your hand here this morning if you think you're doing that. <laughs> if you truly understand what it means for Christ to love the church, that he died for the church, then that's what you're being asked to do. And so, this is not a suggestion. Jesus has never broken the marriage covenant. He's never disobeyed the word of God. He always forgives us. He died, and he gladly gave himself up for us as he suffered in our place. Husbands, you're going to present your wives to Jesus when he returns. What kind of job are you going to be able to report that you've done? This is just not a suggestion. This is, are you really serious about this? Do you understand what it means to be a godly husband the way that Christ wants you to do that? He's modeled for us. Have you helped your wife grow and mature in godliness? Are you a loving servant on Christ's behalf? Does your wife see you as Christ honoring and reverencing Christ? And so it's not just in kind of the more cerebral areas, it's also very practical. Because we see Jesus at one point kneeling down and washing the feet of his disciples. That's the church, his bride. So it's menial tasks. There's, there's nothing that he's not willing to do for his wife. He's willing to get down on his knees and take a bowl of water and and wash their feet, and take a towel, and dry their feet. Christ loves the church, and so we're to love our wives in the same way. So what does that mean? What, what more specifically does that mean? That's sort of a general thing. Well, it says that we're to know the emotional 
spiritual and physical needs that our wives have, just like Jesus knows that about us. And he also knows how often we fail. He knows how we're tempted and how we're drawn away by sin. Well, it's okay to know that about your wife as well. Help her with that. Help her to point back to Christ. But you need to know these things about your wife. Your one flesh, it says. What does that mean? Your one flesh. Well, one of the ways is you're to treat your wife the same way you're going to treat yourself. You're not just selfishly just do what you want and expect her to follow on and change all the time. You're to be thinking about her, what she's thinking, what she's struggling with. You're to know her needs and you're to ensure that those needs are met. You're thinking about her as much as you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking what's best for the marriage as well as what's just selfishly best for you. And so are you praying with her every day? Do you know her fears? Do you know the things that are bothering her, whether it's doctor's appointments or raising children, all the different things are going on in her life? Do you know that? Are you spending enough time with her? Are you making sure that she's getting enough fellowship and encouragement? Does she feel lonely, discouraged, downcast about anything? Do you know that? Do you know what makes her happy? Her hobbies, the things that she has, brings her joy. Maybe it's just decorating the house or going on walks out in the woods. I don't know. But do you know that? Do you understand that? Can you bless her in that? Do you know what season of life she's in? When I got married, I married Diane. She was a woman newly married. Then we had kids. Now I was married to a mother. Now I'm married to a grandmother. Do you understand the transitions your wife's going through? Because it's changing. Do you know her gifts and her talents? Are you encouraging her in the use of them to bring glory to God? Every godly woman wants a godly husband, a spiritual leader. Does your wife see you worshiping the Lord in reverence for Christ? Does she hear you repenting when you sin? You know, the late pastor James Montgomery Boyce told the story that in the days of the Persian King Cyrus that there was a general's wife who was sentenced to death because of a treacherous act that she had done. When her husband heard what was going on, he rushed into King Cyrus's court and he pleaded for her life, saying, King Cyrus, please take my life in place of my wife's. So seeing the great love that was demonstrated by this general, King Cyrus was amazed at the rare and special love that they had, and he wanted their marriage to continue. So he spared both their lives. And as they walked away, the general said to his wife, did you see the kindness and compassion in the king's eyes as he forgave us? 
And his wife replied, no, I didn't. Because I only had eyes for you, the man who was willing to die in my place. Is that how your wives think about you? And so there's a very practical side as well to being a husband that shows that you're willing to die for your wife. Sometimes it's picking up dirty clothes. Sometimes it's watching the kids, vacuuming. can be any number of things. That's a practical side. And so it reminds me of this wife who once said to her husband, Honey, I know that you're willing to die for me because you've told me that many times. But while you're waiting for me to die, I mean, while you're waiting to die, could you please dry the dishes with me? (laughs) So there's that practical side. Good communication helps a lot in those directions. So now let's look at the role of the wife in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So this is asking the wife then to voluntarily and humbly acknowledge that God has placed her husband in the leadership role in their marriage. Of course, we have a whole society about women's rights and things that shows that Women think these things are unfair. And it is unfair in many cases because men try to lord it over women. But in the godly example here, it's a different role. So it doesn't mean that she's mindless, a doormat, or in any way inferior to her husband. What it means is that she is to fill her role before God. This is the plan that God has put forth. And so... A wise wife will encourage and support her husband to be that loving, sacrificial leader that God has called him to be. So she supports that role. She doesn't fight him for control in the marriage. And she should respectfully help him see where he's selfish. When you look in the Hebrew word about helper, back in Genesis 2, it actually has the connotation of someone who resists in terms of just trying to help out. So there's, the idea is that when she sees that there's something selfish in her husband, she does not condemn him, but she helps him. She lovingly and respectfully shares things that she sees in him that are actually selfish. So it's a help not only in a physical way, but also in a spiritual way in growing in Christ-likeness. And so this is where she begins to pray for him, where she sees faults and maybe where he's not fulfilling the role yet that he will fulfill as he grows in his role as the husband. Maybe he's got fears and he's come out of a family that's been very difficult and broken and doesn't know how yet. And so pray for him. Encourage him in this role that God has given him to be your husband. Try to build him up. Encourage him to fulfill that. And we see in Proverbs 31, what's often called the Proverbs 31 wife. (laughs) Probably have heard that. 
But there's a lot of good guidelines and things where the wife is like buying and selling real estate and making clothes and selling that and all kinds of different wonderful and beautiful things that show uh, uh, many different kinds of things that the wife can involve herself with. And now, I want everybody to sit back and please listen to this. I will say it gently if I can, but firmly. This is something that the session has asked me to share with you. So I'm not aiming at anybody here in this congregation. I don't know what's going on behind closed doors in your marriages. But the session is not going to tolerate any physical or emotional abuse in the marriages in this church. Now, most of the time, it's the man who's abusing his wife. But in rare occasions, I've known some of these, where the wife has abused the man. But this is not acceptable. So if you're in a marriage, and again, I don't know any specifics, so it's not aimed at anyone. If you're in a marriage where you're being emotionally or physically abused on an ongoing basis where you can't work it out, session wants you to come to them. And the session will help. So this is very important. I know that whenever I've done premarital counseling, whenever I talk to the young couple, I always tell that young couple that they have access to the session of the church if there's emotional or physical abuse that takes place. And it's very sobering because we don't always know what's going on behind closed doors. And no one should have to experience that kind of abuse. That's not, that's not God. Your marriage needs help. So that brings us to our third point, the power for marriage. So when I say healthy marriage, I'm not saying perfect marriage. <laughs> None of us has a perfect marriage. We're, we're all struggling in our marriages. And so if you've been paying close attention, husbands, you know it's impossible to always love your wives the same way that Christ loves the church. It's not going to happen. You're going to struggle with that. And wives, you know, it's impossible for you to always perfectly submit to your husbands in everything. So here are three things that happen in all marriages about six months after your wedding day. To all marriages. One, you realize that the wonderful person that you've married is selfish. What a shock. I fell in love. And now this person I fell in love with, selfish. Number two, you discover that your spouse has discovered that you are selfish. Who knew? And then three, you acknowledge your selfishness but conclude that your spouse's selfishness is greater than your own. And so you become an expert on your spouse's selfishness. <laughs> well, the good news is that in a Christ-centered marriage, there's hope for change. And that's what our Lord does. So how do we change? 
We change through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 gives us a key here. It says we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we talking charismatic stuff here? No, not really. Although there's a lot of emphasis here on what the Spirit is doing. So the Greek word that's interpreted be filled is in the present tense and the passive voice, which is probably more than you needed to hear this morning about Greek. (laughs) Anyway, so what that means is that when it says be filled, it means allow yourself to be filled. Stop being selfish. Stop resisting. Obey the word of God. Come under the lordship of the Lord. And so we are to allow ourselves to be filled continuously, all the time. Be easily instructed, be ready to repent, be ready to do God's will versus your own selfish will. Be ready to change. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's the hope that we all have, that we all have the Spirit, if you're a Christian, dwelling within us. So it just comes down to my will my selfish desires in this marriage to have my way versus God's will where I need to die to self and start loving more. And so when both spouses take ownership of their own selfishness and tap into the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, Christ-like change occurs in both spouses and a healthier marriage results. And when you acknowledge your selfishness to one another, and you ask your spouse to pray for you instead of trying to hide it, and you ask them to be part of the change process, you have a healthier marriage. Your spouse already sees what you are experiencing and trying to hide and deny. (laughs) But when you see it, and then you want to ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, then invite your spouse in. That's why they're the helper husband or wife. It should be a safe place because you're both after the same thing, to grow in Christ-likeness, mature and deepen in your walk with the Lord. So this is a very powerful spiritual dynamic that takes place in a healthy marriage. You're working for each other and not against one another. So none of this, I mean, some of it happens in every marriage from time to time. But when you've got this dynamic in mind and you know where to go with the problems you're experiencing, you stop this and you start doing this. You invite your spouse in to help solve the problem with you. And you're both looking at the Lord and you're growing in holiness. You stop selfishly blaming each other and demanding your own way and destroying your marriage. Jesus wants you to invite him into your marriage every day. How can you be a good spouse without asking the Lord to help you at the beginning of each day? You're going to have things that rub each other the wrong way from time to time. You're going to have time constraints. You have to do this. She has to do that. Kids need this. Church wants this. All these things are going on. Now, how do you do that? without getting irritated, upset with one another. Well, you have to have Jesus in the middle of your marriage every day. 
And it's been my experience through many years of marriage counseling is that when the man takes his place and tries to love his wife the same way that Christ loves the church, most wives are willing to walk through that wall to follow him. That's what she wants. She wants what God says should be, a spiritual leader she can trust who will love her and not criticize her and put her down, a wife who's served and cared for. We need Christ's help to do that. So if you're married to someone who's not a Christian this morning, I encourage you to pray for their salvation. If neither of you are a Christian this morning, I encourage you to get Jesus' help by becoming Christians. And if you're interested in getting Jesus' help, you can see someone after the service and ask them, how, how can I become a Christian? How can I get Jesus' help, the power of the Holy Spirit? So the bottom line is Jesus is the perfect husband holy and without blemish, who knows us completely. And we are his bride. What a beautiful thing, because he's chosen that. And he's holding us fast until he returns. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve to die. He loves us perfectly, completely, and always. He brings hope to damaged marriages. He sanctifies us. He delights in us. And he's preparing us for the marriage feast of the Lamb when he returns at the end of the age. We're looking forward to that. Then he will be glorified for all that he has done in and for his bride, loving us perfectly and completely. And we'll experience a fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. What a glorious thing that is. So we rejoice in Jesus. We worship him because he rejoices in us and has chosen to love us. What a glorious, glorious God he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the love that's so much greater than we understand or know, and yet we're walking in it. And we don't understand the mystery of why, but we do know that he does. So we rejoice now this morning. And declare your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.